I've trained you well. <laughs> well, I tell you what. They want me to come back to Mexico. Can you believe it? I was gone. This is the longest trip I've had. Uh, I've been gone maybe 13 days or so, but this was, uh, by the time I got home, it was 21 complete days by the night that I got back. So that was a long time. But you know what? God was with us. I did not get sick one time. And everybody's fearful of when they're traveling out of the country of getting sick. But like I was telling somebody earlier, I said, I never drink the water. I only drink the bottled water when it snaps, crackles, and pops when I twist the knob. Or sodas, you know. You know, I drink more sodas on the mission field than I do at home because they have caps on them so but uh, the food was good I probably enjoyed that a little too much but to be honest with you I don't want to eat Mexican food for about two more weeks I'd like to kind of get over that on the way home from the airport we stopped at Wesley Rogers off Richardson Road South St. Louis and I had some fried chicken I said I'm home I'm gonna have some American tasting food so I did, but uh, it was a glorious trip. Uh, I, it would take me a while to sit down and tell you everything. I did a lot of pictures, and, and people shared their videos, and I did some videos, and I put it on Facebook. I sent some out to different ones that are members on Facebook so they could see it. Uh, the last service, uh, we had about seven saved maybe seven called into the ministry, 20 baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I had some prophetic words over the pastor and his wife and different ones. And then I said, it's time to celebrate because it was my last service in Mexico. And so they did a line dance, can you believe it, in church. And so they were doing this line dance and I said, well, you know, I need to get in on this. So I got in on the end and I was doing a little step where you step in, you step out, and then you do the what whaty all the way around. And, and then I just got a little urge. I, I danced across the front of the, in front of the people and high-stepped it back, and they went wild. They just thought that was fabulous. I watched the video, though, and it didn't look as good as I thought it felt, if you know what I mean. So... But, but it was glorious, and uh, we had a grand time. I went from here to Puerto Vallarta, where I, I got there to preach on Thursday. And I preached Thursday, and it was a pastors and leaders conference. There was probably 100 people in Lee Short, you know, his, uh, his compound. On the top level, it's open air with a roof. And so you get all the breeze from the third floor all the way across. And, of course, I prophesied over many in that group. And the other man that was the keynote speaker besides me, he, uh, I, I blessed him with a good word from the Lord. And he was so thrilled, he invited me to come to a city called Tabasco, 
which is south, I believe. It's either directly north or directly south of Mexico City. And he's got 30 or 40 churches and pastors. He said he wanted me to come there and do a pastor's conference, maybe in November or something like that. But uh, that would be a trip of interest for a few people. But I'm telling you, it's not cheap now because the flights and and everything, everything's more expensive. And I was blessed with a good offering, and I was wondering why I had that extra money, but everything was more expensive. The gas was higher. The rooms were a little bit higher. The food was just a little bit higher. So, you know, God always knows your needs. And he took care of me, and it was great. But uh, this man, he was an interesting guy because his father was, he was like the head of the Secret Service for 20 years of Mexico. That's the only way I can describe it. He was over the guards that guarded the president of Mexico for the last 20 years. That's different presidents. And so he grew up around the politicians and, and so on and so forth, but God called him into the ministry and has done a great work in his life. In fact, he told me he's been blessed. He's got permits and everything going to form a brand-new cell phone company in the country of Mexico which is a big deal. I mean, you're talking about a multi-million dollar deal. And so to see a minister blessed with that kind of thinking that he can put together things and then he can supply for the ministry. And that's awesome. I think it's great. But uh, we had just tremendous outpouring. Uh, people touched, healed, delivered. Uh, one night was very unique. Uh, and the only way I can describe it is I've never had a service like that before. I preached, and it was a restoration service. And this pastor has, he's been having to have dialysis on his kidneys every day, more or less. And his heart is affected, his heart is enlarged now. And by all natural convention, you would say that he's not going to live very much longer really but he still got faith and I prayed for him and the Lord touched him he felt better in the service and his people it was like a Sunday service they got the word out and I've been there many times so the people came out on a Wednesday night and it was like a Sunday and uh, I started ministering and this one woman I've known her for many years uh, I've seen her get married, have a, another child. She had two little kids that grew up into teenagers, and they just loved me. And so I prayed over them, and I gave her one of those. I said, cross your chest with your arms so that her breasts are not against my chest. You know, that's a no-no in the ministry. And so I just hugged her like a daddy and showed her a little love. She began to weep. And then when I let her go, I said, well, you know, there might be somebody else here that really needs a father's hug. And this young man, about six foot three or four, jumped up and ran up there to me. And he worked for a chicken company. It said Pollo, of course, P-O-L-L-O. That's chicken in Mexican and Spanish, Pollo. And so two y L's make a Y sound, if you want a, a little lesson here tonight. But... Uh, he just put his arms out. He needed a hug. I just hugged him, and he cried like a baby. 
I mean, just sobbing and weeping. And it was like an inner healing taking place. And I thought, well, that's great. And then there was another one and another one. I mean, women, men, teenagers, you name it. They needed somebody to care for them and to give them a hug. I, I, I hugged a retired police officer for crying out loud. You're talking about hard, you know. And he cried like a baby. And then his wife, and I hugged them together. And then I hugged his son, who is a police officer. And I had a word over him about he needs to stand up for what's right and not be pushed into things that he didn't need to be a part of. And I didn't realize it. He had a politician that kept demanding his services. They could choose police to go with them wherever they went. And it was crossing the line in a few places. You know, a lot of corruption in the foreign governments. Well, we got it in our government. But anyway, as I began to hug him, he began to cry. You know, he had his head on my shoulder just crying and crying. And all of a sudden, he began to cough and go through deliverance and fell to his knees. And I cast about six or seven spirits out of him. And he was set free. But I've never seen, I hugged about 35 people into life, you know. And uh, demons gone and healing on the inside. People need love. They need to be accepted. They need to receive forgiveness. And so I was able, that was the only service I've ever had where I've hugged about 35 people in the altar. But, you know, they needed a father's hug, father's touch. And God's redeeming people nowadays. Don't you know it? Let's go. I might have shared this scripture recently. Let's go back to it though. I want to talk about who does God choose? Have you ever thought about who, who does he choose? A lot of people wonder, why haven't I been chosen for something? A lot of people feel like they're called, but they haven't stepped into anything. Well, let's read this. Isaiah 58, 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. Think about that. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restore of streets to dwell in. You know, the church is called to repair and restore people's lives and to make a city more inhabitable, a city that has more godliness and righteousness in it. I'm going to tell you what, you know, Poplar Bluff has its own little reputation. It was called Little Chicago back when I was a kid. And it was for a reason. And I, I know some stuff about this city from many decades and years ago that I could share that I won't tonight, but about its history. And because of that, this city has been full of darkness. We have a lot of churches. In Butler County alone, there's over 200 churches. And how many of them are completely full? Hardly any of them. And when the one does get full, it seems like something happens and it gets split in seven different directions. And so 
there is a lot of resistance against repairing and restoring of the streets in Poplar Bluff even. I mean, this can be applied to our city right here. So who does God choose? How does he choose somebody that's going to help accomplish this mission that is before us? Who's going to rebuild the waste places? Who's going to be the one that's going to raise up foundations that's going to last for generations? You know, that's why, see, my parents, they were godly Christian people, and then we were raised that way. My brother and I have been pastors for so many years. My sister's a godly woman. Uh, and then my kids now are growing up and participating in the ministry and, you know, helping redeem others through our church here. But many of you, you've seen generations that are touched and you want your kids and grandkids to serve God and to be raised up, and God will do it. But let's see, who does God choose? The first answer is pretty easy. It's in the first line. Those from among you. Who does God choose? He chooses people that live, eat, and breathe close to you. They might be sitting right next to you right now that God would choose. Now, there's, we're going to see here in a second. We're go, let's go on and look at Romans 8.28 first, I believe. Yeah. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Okay? Now, you can be called. And if you're called to do His purpose, He says all things will work together for good. Even when you stumble and go through difficulties, even when it appears to be obstacles. I was sharing with Randy Ketron earlier. I won't go into his story. That's up to him. But he had a, a great uh, answer to prayer happen last week. I was so excited when that happened for him. But, you know, all things, Randy, work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. When we accept His purpose in our life, everything, even what could have been bad, turns out for good. And, and then he says, because we love God and we're called to His purpose. If you don't love God and you're not called to His purpose then it's not going to work out right. It's going to be terrible. And a lot of people have to go through terrible things to get to the bottom, as we call it, in the 12 steps anyway. 12 steps says you got to hit bottom a lot of times before you'll ever look up and accept the fact that you have messed up your life and you need a power greater than yourself to help you get out of the dungeon or the ditch, so to speak. So you got to recognize that you need somebody greater than you. And I'm sorry, but that uh, steel beam over there is not my greater power. That chair sitting there is not my greater power. No matter how hard I try to make that chair my greater power, that chair is not going to do a cotton-picking thing for me. But it's when I recognize and realize that my 
sovereign God is my greater power, and He is the one when I turn to Him. We sing about it when we go and approach His throne. We get grace and mercy in our time of need. He promises us that in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. We approach the throne of God to obtain grace and mercy in our time of need. He will give you what you need when you come to Him. If you believe in Him and you uh, accept Him. Amen? I tell you what, it was really great to see all the people that came and wanted prayer in all those services. 17 services in 19 days. And I'm going to tell you what, the people were hungry. And they were not afraid to ask for prayer. We need to see that here in Poplar Bluff. Where they're so hungry, they run you down. Where they chase you out into the street to get more prayer. I mean... And I've got to tell you this, I was preaching at sea level at first, first four services. I preached on Sunday night, the first Sunday night, and Brother Kevin, I was in, I, that was where we were installing the pastor, and we were doing an inauguration of a new church under our general ministry. It's called Christian Family Church, or Christian Family Center, of Puerto Vallarta. That's what they go by down there. It's part of our organization. And it had to be 118 degrees in that building. There were no windows open because they had it dark where they had the screens and everything. I was thinking, Lord, man, I need to buy these people an air conditioner. You know? I don't know if I'm going to survive this service. I sweated beans. I mean, it was popping out all over my forehead. And when you're bald-headed like me, man, it popped out everywhere. And uh, they thought I was, they thought Tino was crying because the sweat was running down his face so much. Uh, people that were watching on video, they said, man, Tino's just broken up. He's crying. No, he was sweating. I was sweating. 118 degrees in that place. You know, but the neat thing is, Laura Gutierrez, uh, brother's coming this week and he's going to buy an air conditioner and put in that building down there and they're going to have a, a something like a two and a half ton air conditioner in there I said well man I wish they'd have come first you know before I came I probably lost five pounds in that service you know but we got it done you know those people didn't leave even though it was that hot they sat there sweating like crazy and then when I started praying for people, they came forward. They didn't want to leave. They wanted the power of God so badly that they just sat in there. I'm going to tell you what, I don't know if any of you would have stayed. And I'm not saying you're weak. You might have stayed if I stayed. But you know what I'm saying? You'd have had to go outside for a little while. We're lightweights here in the Middle West, you know. But down there, that was at sea level. I don't know what percentage of humidity it was, but that was the main problem. But uh, I went from there to Guadalajara, which was over 5,000 feet up, and I did four services there. And I went from sweating half to death to walking across the auditorium having to pause and get my breath. It was high as Denver. And then 
we go from Guadalajara, once I kind of got used to it, we went to Aguas Calientes. It's on a plateau that's at 6,100 feet up, higher than Denver by 1,000 feet. <coughs> and then I spent five, six days there, five days, and then I went to Lyon, and it was over 6,100 feet up. So I spent a lot of time up in the air, up in the clouds. But it was desert. It was dry. So it was hot, but you know, you just didn't seem to sweat that much. But you were, it was really hot. And I preached. But I mean, it was so sweet. The one little mission we went to called Lomas, and one of the guys that I laid hands on for his credentialing, he's an evangelist. He's a horse trainer by trade. He trains horses. And his family owns a coffee plantation. So he's not poor. But he, he led the worship at the mission church. And that place was crammed full with about 50, 60 people. Little room about the size of where these seats are on this side. The whole room. His son played the drums, Randy. He kept a pretty good beat. But I couldn't see him. He was so small. He was like five years old. You saw that video? He was sitting way down under the cymbals. He was sitting the cymbals like this and keeping the beat, you know. It was pretty hilarious. But then the daddy was playing the guitar and, he, and his daughters were singing because he had lost his wife. He has a fiancé now, but he had his whole family with him in worship. I thought that was awesome. But that church, we had lots of people. I had some deliverance happen, you know. And we don't take 20, 30 minutes. We get it done quickly. I mean in Jesus' name. And them things leave. They can't stay. They don't like to hang around and worship with us, you know. But uh, we had just a lot of healings. I had a, a lady at the hugging service, as I called it, that owns a Christian radio station. And she came up. She doesn't attend that church except Wednesday night. She, she was coming to Bible classes. And she came up and just showed me her eyes. This one eye was kind of drooped down. It was blind. And this one was half blind. And she pointed at her eyes. And I prayed for her just about five, ten seconds. And you know what? The Lord opened her eyes just like that. And there was another person. I mean, just like that, the Lord opened her eyes. And other people healed. Pain leaving the body. You know, about every kind of thing imaginable. And a lady actually FaceTimed me on uh, Messenger today from a hospital room with her uncle. And he was laying up in the bed. He was supposed to have died while I was there. But I prayed for him, and I gave her and her cousins, who was the man's sons, she brought a handkerchief. I anointed it, prayed over it. They took it, put it on his body. And now he's sitting up, opening his eyes, looking at me. And I'm trying to talk Spanish to him, telling him, uh, Roca vive, you know, uh, sanidad, that means healing, in nombre Jesucristo, and milagro, hermano, miracle, brother, uh, hallelujah, gloria a Dios, you know. I was using every word I could think of. Anyway, we got our message across. But just so many people healed. And uh, I could show you some videos 
I couldn't do it. I didn't, we didn't have time to put anything together to put it up there. But it was just awesome. But see, this is what it's about. Who does God choose? Are you willing to be chosen? He wants to choose you to help build foundations. That brother's building foundations of generations by having a little five-year-old boy play the drums in worship. And then his girl's singing at 10, 12 years old. <coughs> but trouble will come. But if you love God and you're called to his purpose, everything works together for good. Even the trouble. God uses the trouble to become a testimony in your life. Then we see in Matthew 22 and verse 14. That's a verse that we've used over many years for many are called but few are chosen see many people are called but do they stick it out do they stay in church pastor ken's out in that hallway every session of classes asking people if they need to take classes if they feel a calling to minister and he and he's out there trying to get them to take those. We've had so many people over the years complete those courses. I don't know how many we've laid hands on here. I've been here 20 years, and Pastor Ken's been with me all the way. And we've probably had an average of 8 to 10 people a year receive some kind of credentialing. And that doesn't mean you're Billy Graham or, or Benny Hinn or something. You know, it means that you have studied to show yourself approved. That you're not just called, but you're chosen. That you've paid a price. That you've stuck it out. You've been in class. You're learning. And you're learning how to understand the scriptures. And you're learning how to minister to those that are in need. But many are called, but few are chosen. The few are the ones that stick it out and really learn how to utilize the scriptures. Now, what I want to say also, with this revelation that comes, let's turn backwards a page, and let's look at verse 2. We're going to examine the parable, because Jesus gives them a parable about the ones many are called, but few are chosen. Let's see what he says. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. How many people do you know around this region that have been invited to church? Now, church doesn't make you a Christian. Amen? Any more than going sitting in a lawyer's office makes you a lawyer. You know, uh, uh, had a joke in my mind I had to resist it <laughs> you know <laughs> oh should I tell it anyway I'll make all my doctors and lawyer friends mad if I tell it but it's just tongue-in-cheek there was a preacher that was on his deathbed an older preacher and he called his doctor and his lawyer in one on one side one on the other and they thought it was highly strange that he would invite the two of them to come and be by his bedside. And they said, well, Reverend, why would you have called us in here? You should be calling your family in. 
And he said, well, I wanted to die like Jesus between two thieves. <laughs> Forgive me, Doc. Forgive me, lawyer. You know, they're not like that, really. Maybe a few, but most of them are not. Most of them mean well. But uh, uh, I hope Dr. McGath isn't watching this. Or Dr. Daniels, they're my good friends. But uh, anyway... <laughs> But he, he arranged this marriage for his son, but nobody wanted to come. Isn't that horrible? You know the food would be great. He's a king. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. They're having a big barbecue, big blowout, and all these people don't want to come. Isn't that like it is sometimes? You try to get people to come to church. You want them to come to hear a good word from the Lord and maybe make a decision to follow Christ. I don't wait for church. I talk to them right where they're at. I talk to people on the airplane. I talk to them in the taco stand. When I was buying my wife a new purse, I was talking to the people there, making jokes with them using my little bit of Spanish I had, you know, trying to let them know Americans are not all, you know, spoiled, rotten brats like some of these foreigners think we are. But these people would not come out to the wedding even though there was a great dinner prepared. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and even killed some of them. You're talking about a rough town when they kill you for in, you inviting them to a wedding. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and the byways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. In other words, there was one guy there that had no respect for what was being done. You know, that happens sometimes. You could imagine if somebody came in here. Well, I won't even describe it, but anyway. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then here's the same. For many are called, but few are chosen. You know, 
if you've got a mind to come in front of a king, you're not going to come in a disrespectful manner. It doesn't matter if somebody's tall, short, skinny, or fat, or black, white, red, yellow, whether they speak Spanish, German, or English. That church in Florida had 35 countries. I had one lady that was a German that would come to church on Sunday with her daughter. And Sister Virginia, she couldn't understand English. You know what she did? She sat there while I preached, and she cried because she could feel the presence of God. But she came in a respectful manner, and she just loved to be in the presence of God. It didn't matter if she wanted to know what something that was said. And this lady, she was an elderly lady, she would come up and hug me and kiss my face, and she just loved being at church, but she couldn't understand anything. But her heart was pure. See, that's really the key. Are we pure in heart? The Bible says in the Beatitudes, those who are pure in heart will see God. What is pure in heart? What is it? Is it water that's run over your heart? Pure in heart, in the book of James, chapter 4. See, he's talking about the pure in heart are not double-minded. In other words, when you're pure in heart, you're not out one day living like the world, and the next day you're coming to church raising your hands, praising God. Pure in heart means, really, you're the same way in church as you are out of church. In other words, you're, you're the same person all the time when you have the Holy Spirit inside you. It doesn't matter whether you're sitting in a church seat or you're out at Walmart. You're still the same person. You're pure in heart. If you're pure in heart, you're going to see God one day. You're going to be a part of the kingdom. You're going to be chosen. You're not just called. He calls Come in from the highways and the byways. He calls everybody in, but not everybody comes, just like that wedding. Not everybody that was invited was willing to come. Some of them he mocked and, and killed his servants. The king had to come with his army and take care of them. Now, I tell you what, the kingdom of God is a powerful place to be a part of. But if you want to be in it, You've got to be truthful, sincere, and have a pure heart before God. In other words, not a hypocrite. You know what people in the world say sometimes to me? I don't want to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites in there. And you know what? I'm getting pretty bold in my old age. I'm 65, so I'm not going to hold back. I tell them, well, I say, well, you know, you're a hypocrite. If you really wanted to make a change, you'd come to church and help me. But you know what? You're a hypocrite for staying out of church. They don't like that. Some of them say, oh, yeah, I never thought about it that way. I said, 
gee, if you don't like the preachers, well, how about the doctors? How about the clerks at Walmart when you go through and you have them ring you up? My friend I met in Georgia many, many years ago, he had an experience where he went through the checkout line. And this guy's the one that was having a lot of glory dust fall, you know, in his meetings. But he went through the checkout line, and he had it as a goal. After he said this in a message that I was sitting in his ministry, I started doing it too. He made it a goal to tell five people every day that God loved them. And you know what happened? The fifth person, he came through that checkout line, and that girl behind the line, the checkout, she was not very nice. And she got snappy with the person in front of him. And he came through, and he said, Whoa, aren't we having a good day today? She pointed her finger at him and said, Don't you start with me, mister. He said, Well, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. God loves you. She looked at him, it stopped her in her tracks, her eyes got that big. And all of a sudden, you know what happened? She began to cry. He said, what's wrong? She said, you don't know what you just said. He said, I know what I said, God loves you. She said, you don't understand. My boyfriend and I were living together, and he left me yesterday and told me he wasn't coming back and we got a light bill that was due and they turned off my electric and then the rent's coming due pretty soon and she said I told God if somebody didn't tell me that he loved me today I was going to go home and I have a gun and I was going to blow my brains out she said and you don't know what you said because it's five till five and I get off at 5 o'clock, and you're the last person I'm checking out, and you just told me God loved me. He said, I'm not going to go home and blow my brains out now because I know that I know that God loves me. And so he prayed with her. I don't know what else happened as far as did he get her some help or whatever. But you see, God knows. He knows when somebody says, if you don't send somebody to tell me you love me, I'm going to end it. God brought Jack through that particular line at Walmart or Kmart or the grocery store. I don't know where it was. but And he happened to be her last customer. Do you think God knows exactly the timing of things? Who does he choose? He chooses people like Jack. He chooses people like you. That you're the last one that may speak to somebody and stops them from ending it all. See, sometimes we're having a little pity party and we're thinking, hmm, I don't know. I don't even want to talk to nobody today. I don't feel like it. But there's somebody, it could be the waitress at Myrtle's. It could be the clerk at Walmart. It could be 
the lady at the drive-thru at the bank. It could be the person at the doctor's office that schedules your appointment. I mean to tell you, there are people everywhere that need the repairing of relationships and the restoration of the streets for their lives to be put back together again. I tell you what, that was awesome on that FaceTime today. And there was that man that I sent that, I anointed that handkerchief, and he's still alive. Two weeks since I was at that church. He's still alive, sitting up. He had his eyes open. He was looking at me. He was listening to me. He's still got a ways to go, but he didn't die. And the niece was there with the cell phone letting him see me. What an awesome thing. How God, I can't even speak fluent Spanish. And yet God was using me in my weakness. In our weakness, he is made strong. And he will do something for somebody because of you. Don't ever think too little of yourself that God wouldn't choose you. Because he will. He'll choose you to do something for him. It's when you reject God and re you resist the urge that you feel. You know, somebody was saying, Randy was saying something like that when he was leading worship. You know, God nudges us. He could have been killed in that accident, but he wasn't because he listened to the voice of God. Was it loud? Was it on TV? No, it was a still, small voice that God speaks most of the time to us in that is meaningful, that matters, and that he will use to touch somebody and change their life. Amen? Stand with me tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give honor to you. I thank you for the opportunity I had to go on that mission trip and make a difference in people's lives. I thank you that you chose me, Lord. And I thank you that just like later in that same chapter in verse 37, it talks about it's when we love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself that really makes a difference in this world. I pray that we all understand to do that, to love you with everything we got, and then to love others as we would like to be loved in the name of Jesus. Go with us tonight as we go home. Let us meditate on this and understand how important we are to you that you would choose us to make a difference in other people's lives. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be home.